In nature, a wildfire is one of the most devastating natural forces. It burns hot and fast and leaves little behind but ash and char. Or so it seems. Very soon after the fire passes through the forest, life returns. Shrubs and weeds that clog the forest floor have burned away, leaving space for new trees, grasses, and flowers to emerge and flourish. Habitats are created, bringing new insects, birds, reptiles, and mammals. A cancer diagnosis can feel like a wildfire, our bodies becoming this new, fire-clarified landscape. For some, cancer changes utterly everything. For others, cancer brings greater clarity and purpose. And some of us are still searching for what life after a cancer diagnosis will look like. Welcome to The Burn. We are exploring stories of life and transformation following a breast cancer diagnosis. I'm April Stearns, the founder and editor of Wildfire Magazine and the host of this podcast. Today, we're going to hear a piece about a life transformed by what cancer took away. We have heard stories about pregnancy after cancer before here on The Burn, but today's story is our first about another path to motherhood, a circuitous path that began in not wanting it and ended in needing a community to make it happen. My guest today is Megan Kalkari Campbell. She lives in San Francisco and works in ocean conservation. At 32, she was diagnosed with stage two triple positive breast cancer. Today, Megan's here to read a piece she wrote for Wildfire Magazine's Bay Area Young Survivors issue. This was an issue in which we showcased the young women living in Northern California, finding various paths through survivorship. Welcome to The Burn, Megan. Thank you, April. Thank you so much for being here. So you are here to read a piece you wrote for, like I said, our Bay Area Young Survivors issue. That was in 2021, and the piece was called Dear One. After you read, we're going to talk about different paths to motherhood, especially the path through one's own resistance and a clarifying force that is cancer. And for those of you listening, stay tuned to the very end for a writing prompt inspired by today's chat with Megan. All right, Megan, I'll let you take it away. Great. Dear One... I didn't think about you, not once, not ever. Well, maybe that's only partly true. I thought about you in such a way as to not think about you. I didn't want you, you see. It's not exactly the warm welcome you anticipated, and I'm not sure how this is going to work out. We never are. The baby dolls I had when I was little were either hand-me-downs or statues. The second-hand toys were missing an eye, sometimes even a head laying bare without clothes or their hair, a matted nest. The others were white porcelain, faces painted ever so delicately with a steady hand, thin lips and blue eyes, layers of petticoats upright on their doll stands and collecting dust. I don't ever recall opening a huggable baby doll that I nurtured, held, pretended to be its mother. I remember in eighth grade, walking home from the neighborhood ballpark one steamy summer evening and telling my friend Tara that I know I'll die young. Clearly motherhood is not for me. I turn 40 next month and have never changed a diaper. Sometimes I pause and interrogate why I have been so certain. I have the most caring, compassionate mom, grandmothers and maternal figures in my life. The archetypes abound, mothers coming in all forms, the people who have been there to care for my wounds, rub my back, listen to my wails and my worries about what is and what might be. Mothers give life. 
A mother birthed the stars, planets, suns, and moons, and earth. I glory in these gifts every day, birdsong, spring blooms, the exhale of autumn leaves drifting to the ground, a capacity for unconditional love with multitudes and deeper than the ocean's trenches. This is a lot to live up to. And then there's the social chatter of the white Western world, what makes a good mother? That is, losing oneself to further one's children. My career, travels, passion pursuits, and dreams are all supposed to go in the back seat, dedicating every waking hour to a child, concerning myself with all matters of this person's diet, sleep patterns, screen time, air quality, school system and homeroom teacher, friend groups, sports or extracurriculars. Hopefully one day, if all goes according to some assumed plan, the child flies the nest to be an economically independent adult who makes good choices, assembles Ikea furniture, and votes at the ballot box, and always comes home for the holidays. When did mother become a verb? Maybe at the root of my resolve is the other part of the world, the scorched earth tipping to a point of no return. How could I reasonably think it a sound plan or be responsible for bringing a new person into this doomed place? White supremacy and racism undergirding every system that we walk in, wondering if no amount of work, power sharing, and reconciliation can dissolve the privilege of being white and heal the shortened lives and heartbreaks that it sows for so many, too many others. And the changing climate, its severity and destruction, exacerbating broken systems, the bees and the biodiversity, lights blinking out before they are even seen, heard, touched. And any new life, part of Generation C for COVID, navigating the chaos yet to come. The tally marks seem clear and bright. Until until the choice of being a parent was nearly taken away from me. The breast cancer diagnosis, coming in like a wrecking ball to our newlywed life, telling us that if I were to live, cancer would impact my chance of becoming a biological parent, of carrying a baby, and make adoption agencies pause. The hustle and decision of whether I had enough time and we had enough finances to harvest my eggs put them on ice as embryos for a future that was even less than certain. The answer was yes, if we hurry, we must hurry. The ravages of 18 months of chemotherapy, the fast-growing cells, even the good ones, disintegrating as the chemicals wash them away, the six years of shots and ongoing daily pills to keep me in chemically-induced menopause through my entire 30s, to dampen the risk of estrogen circulating in my body and feeding whatever cancer cells yet lurk in the shadows, camping out for a time and place when they could bloom again. Moments turned to years, stretches of time stolen. Until life, it crept back in, sunrise by sunrise. And the quiet question, a mostly concealed curiosity, I asked in a clinical setting about a baby and the answer, the risk was too high, the heart too weak, the body too tired. Yet I realized that with cancer, when I crossed the threshold of a before and an after, a light flickered on low and deep in my body. Maybe it was primal or cultural, or perhaps it was maternal. This curiosity of what it would feel like to become an ancestor. 
I'll save you exactly how we got to today, maybe until you get to know me and your father better, each of us a chapter book to go deeper into with time, just like you. You can ride the roller coaster with us, the murkiness of healthcare, the fear of exacerbating my body's newfound fragility, the pros and cons lists, the joy at having a full adult life of brunches and sleeping in, the research, the hand-wringing, the passage of time, the guilt, the worry, the recognition of a heart's capacity to love, the dreaminess of a transformative experience that makes people so exhausted, and still, they would not trade for anything. Why am I telling you this? On the day that the paperwork is signed, the surrogate is matched, the womb is chosen, Today, it feels like something distinctive, a leapfrog towards another providence, a dosy do away from a young death and a world dictated by cancer, from who I thought I was to who I will become through and with you. You are still a stranger to me, and I can't wait to meet you. Love, Mom. Oh, Megan, thank you so much for that. I feel like I want to listen to you just keep reading and reading all day. So thank you for that. So we are going to take a quick break here. And when we come back, Megan and I will chat more about her story and where she is today. Hi, my name is Nikki. I'm from Loveland, Colorado. And I was 44 years old when I was diagnosed with stage 1C invasive ductal carcinoma, hormone positive, HER2 negative. Uh, Upon further investigation, we found that I had the ATM mutation and I moved forward with a bilateral mastectomy with reconstruction. Although those feelings have been very hard to process, uh, especially during a pandemic, doing these wildfire workshops have been very cathartic. They helped me to tap into buried feelings I didn't even know existed and open the door for memories that were long forgotten. I highly recommend it for anyone going through the cancer experience and even caregivers. I look forward to doing more of them soon. All right. Thank you so much for the love, Nikki. Thank you for that. All right, Megan. Thank you again for your powerful writing. I loved that letter. Thank you so much for reading it to us today. Thank you, April. It's a privilege. Yeah, absolutely. So I want to take you back in time. We will get to an update from you. But before we do that, I don't want to lose this thread of where we are in the past. Um, You wrote this story. Well, we published this story at the beginning of 2021. And um, I'm not exactly sure how much before that you wrote it. But maybe you can take us back in time. And you, you ask the question in the story, you know, why now? Why this letter now? And I would love to hear you kind of expound upon that a little bit more if you can cast your mind back to that and what it was you really wanted to say. I wrote this letter in April, um, so really near the start of the pandemic. A dear friend of mine, uh, Suleika, launched a project called the Isolation Journals, and she would send out prompts of her writing. Um, and so, as you know, clearly through your work, April, with Wildfire, that writing is a tool for healing from trauma, especially cancer, um, and for young folks who are dealing with that and feeling very alone. The prompt that she sent out was about a letter to a stranger. And we really had just signed the paperwork <laughs> with an agency with a surrogate And I thought, wow, this is actually could be happening. This could manifest in 
a new life being coming into the world and being born turning my attention from you know the grief and the complexity of cancer and navigating fertility over time to this first sense of like whoa this could actually happen and i don't know this person that really rooted me and it, it was a big aha moment um to cause me to write the story um, and then excited to submit it to you all uh, for publication Mm, and I'm so glad that you did. Thank you so much for sharing that origin story for this particular piece. I love that prompt. And I had goosebumps when you said it. It's just so um, powerful. And, and and I know that I and I teach that. But hearing you say it just brings it full circle for me. And I realized in that moment when you were sharing that, that you had a choice to make an intersection between writing a letter to an unborn child, a, a maybe child, or writing it to this person who is going to maybe make your dream a, a reality. Did you immediately know who needed to have that letter written? Or maybe you wrote more than one letter? It was really clarifying for me that I needed to write the letter to this potential person. I think given our pathway, my pathway to parenthood was going to be what it was. I always felt like radical transparency was good. <laughs> um, and to not, to ensure that if this would end up working out and we would have a baby at the end of this, that that person would know their origin story and they would know that it was a big choice. Um, and it was a privilege really to be able to make that choice. I also think that there is a lot of pressure on, um, especially women, but I think everybody in the world to become parents, to become a mom. And I also wanted to see that if this person were to, to be born, that that is, it's a, it's an option that doesn't need to be always, oh, this is something you must do. And that I, even though I will love this person, I was really conflicted about it. And then it was when the choice got removed that it was like, whoa, hold on, maybe this was something I really wanted or wanted to happen in my life. So it was always clear who the letter should be to. I love that. And I love how um, the removal of an option, which cancer is, you know, it's a thief in that way, but the removal of an option can be so clarifying and help you to know what it is you want. So let's hear from you an update. Where are things at nowadays? Our daughter was born uh, June 28th. Celeste Maeve is her name. It was uh, truly a miracle. I'm not certain what I believe in, but just knowing that things worked out um, is truly remarkable. Our match with our surrogate was very smooth. Um, we... <laughs> I had our paperwork into an agency and they said, you know, it could take up to a year to match. I think it was three days later, they got back to us and said, we think we found a match for you. Right when we went into the shutdown in California at the beginning of the pandemic, we had our Zoom interview with our surrogate and her husband. Um, and it was pretty much love at first sight. And so every you know step along the way, the embryo transfer, the shots, the you know monitoring, we just kept looking at each other. Every all four of us, because <laughs> it was a big you know it's a group process, team team effort, um, and saying okay, it's working for now. Okay, it's working for now. Um, and our circuit's name's Katie. 
and we just said, you know, we we're not going to count our eggs before they hatch, literally, <laughs> until our baby is in our arms. Uh, she's born healthy, and she was, and uh, she will be six months old here next week. Is doing all the things that a six month old should. Uh, she started solids and <laughs> is really digging peas today. So these are the kind of things that now, um, while cancer might be always kind of in the back of my mind, and I'm still part of this this community of folks who are in treatment, out of treatment, will always be in treatment. I now have this additional um, companion <laughs> with me in life, and I just really pinch myself when I look at her every day and think, wow, you were created back in 2012. <laughs> You're so old <laughs> and so wise. Um, but here we are in 2021 and and she's just coming into life. Oh, I love that. And I love that someday she will know this story of of how you ended up saying yes to to this call. Um, you know, this this little inkling, like you said, you know, we don't know what it was, but maybe it was just some kind of maternal calling coming through the the ether. So I love that. Thank you for sharing that with us. Sure. I wanted to talk a little bit about this idea of surrogacy and um, the literal surrogacy that you had, but bigger than that is this idea that when cancer happens to us, in a lot of ways, our independence is stripped away. And I think part of um, part of Western culture is that we are ingrained with this idea of independence and a fierce independence that we come to know is um, is a weakness. It, it, it's a it's a defense mechanism. It's something that we think we're supposed to have and, and project all the time. But the truth strength is in adopting a community and asking for help. And I wonder if you have any thoughts on that. It's such a beautiful question. I think we had to quickly accept, especially with a cancer diagnosis, um, to open our hearts and receive help and ask for help. So very early on, maybe in our in my life, I guess, having that humility and having to be vulnerable to say, wow, I can't do this on my own. I'm relying on all these other people to take care of me to, you know, if ineffectively like save my life. Um, that had to reset the tone for how we were probably going to approach things, my husband, Mike and I. I think when it came to the path to parenthood, there is a lot of complexity around surrogacy. Given that 2012 was so long ago, I think my grieving about, goodness, like, should I have carried a child? Could I carry a child? Maybe I won't be able to have a baby. Like that grief was all kind of welled up in the ball of whether I was living or not. It was, you know, nested in there. Um, and so coming into the our decision to move forward with surrogacy, we knew that we would always have to, you know, involve somebody else, involve another family, involve a community. Um, and so when that happened and when our surrogate and I just developed such a strong relationship um, she just was visiting in San Francisco last weekend um, to see the baby. And we know we'll be, you know, forever in each other's lives. I think it um, was, it just drove home the point that no matter how a child may come into one's life, um, 
that community is critical in terms of having all these beautiful, smart people who are kind of elders and helping guide the pathway of the children, of the child. Um, I just consider Katie and her family like a bonus family um, who will help be helping send all the love in the world to Celeste um, throughout her life and tracking her progress and, you know, keeping her on um, the path of love. I'm just grateful for that gift. I, the last thing I'll say around that is because we had done the grieving perhaps earlier than maybe folks who are entering surrogacy who maybe have had a lot of IVF challenges, um, we always knew we wanted a relationship with a surrogate. It wasn't like uh, more of a transaction. It was more relational. And I know that that's a choice too. And and maybe it is a privilege to have that. Um, but I think as if, if folks listening are considering or contemplating surrogacy, it is one thing that I will say has made it easier is to have that relationship because Katie brought so much and has brought so much love to our child that I just would have a hard time thinking about it um, in any other way in Celeste. You know, Celeste's first home was in a test tube <laughs> and then her second home was in Katie's womb and her third home is now with us. Um, and all of those homes have been very important. <laughs> Sure. Very, very important. But yeah, and this like theme of just intradependence instead of independence throughout and what a beautiful, knowing that from the start, what a beautiful way to enter into life and, um, and have that be part of your story. Well, I love all of that, Megan. Thank you so much for sharing your story with us and for also sharing Celeste's story with us too. That's just, yeah. Congratulations. I'm really happy for you. Thanks, April. And thanks for building this community and offering us all a space to be together. Absolutely. So the story that you read was called Dear One. It was in our 2021 Bay Area Young Survivors issue. If people wanted to find you and follow you online, is that an option? Where would they look? I am on Instagram. It's at Calcarius. Excellent. Excellent. Well, thank you again. So I'm April Stearns, and you've been listening to The Burn. The Burn's a production of Wildfire Magazine, where we share breast cancer stories from young women like you've never read or heard before. We also strive to inspire you to write your story like you've never written it before. Stay to the end for a writing prompt inspired by today's chat. Our producer is Bill Smith of Shoe Production, and our production assistant is Monica Haro. Want more on the life-changing transformation to be had from telling your breast cancer stories? Visit wildfirecommunity.org to find a copy of the issue shared in today's episode, to find our more than 30 issues in the Wildfire archives, and to take a writing workshop with me. Discover how to write your way back to yourself, write your way to reclaiming your body and your story. And don't forget to subscribe to The Burn and listen to it wherever you go. All right, here is our writing prompt, and this comes straight out of today's chat with Megan. I want you to take that writing prompt that she was given all those many months ago when she wrote this particular story, which was a letter to a stranger. Think about the letter that you need to write to a stranger today. Whether they receive it or not, it's powerful for clarifying your thoughts, your feelings, Maybe you'll pass it on, but maybe it'll just be for you. So begin it with their name if you know their name or just begin it like Megan did, dear one. Write for eight minutes, feel your fingers moving, your fingers tapping the whole time, lean into that time and see what needs to come out. 
Happy writing. Thanks for listening. Until next time, take good care.